It has come to my knowledge the last 10 years from time to time from testimonies that the witches and people that are knowledgeable in Satan's operation and purposely do so have been collecting together and not only is human sacrifice these kind of things increased but also the devil has found faithful disciples evidently that will even fast and pray what we'd be called chanting fast and chant fast and chant to the Lord of darkness the Prince of darkness Satan himself and as he directs their chantings and prayers and what have you they have isolated in or moved in on the destruction of the Christian family unit morality of Christians and specifically the wives and husbands of ministers and in the last year ten years we've seen a, a increase tremendous increase in this immorality in the Christian family and divorce in fact what inspired me to preach on divorce that one time was God of course but what flicked it in my spirit I was watching a television program and I I noticed the three international ministries that was on it including the host and then the other two or three international ministries had all went into second marriages since answering their call internationally so all of them had an international ministry with their other wives and now they had an international ministry with the one that they had because somewhere along the line their marriage disintegrated and it broke up so wanting to understand how this works I begin to pray because over the last five years specifically when I administer preachers conferences just one we did at Tucson at Louise Brock's there was 80 preachers present and we ministered on Satan's war machine that is the counterfeit operation of Satan's body as opposed to the body of Christ and it would shock you my friend that how many preachers want counseling they they don't want to talk in front of anybody they want to go over to the side and after I heard one story I probably heard a hundred it isn't things that they would just walk up to a preacher and tell them but since we preach and unfold how Satan works in these areas then these preachers felt confident to go ahead and open up and they said you know just exactly the things you're preaching on is what I've been caught up in these last few years I don't like it I hate it it's the lasciviousness of the flesh I hate it it's not that I don't have a beautiful wife I have beautiful kids even in a lot of cases the successful church it's not that I don't have all these things it's just there's just something that is working and I don't know how to stop it I don't know how to come out of it I don't know what to do about it and this filthiness of flesh and I knew that the witches and things were fasting for the destruction and for the immorality of Christians what I did not understand is how that these could join themselves up with Satan against the church and that you and I would feel the effect of it well these people that fast and chant to Satan and from now on we'll probably be saying fasting and praying these people that fast and pray to Satan I hope you don't think that he cares anymore for those deceived human beings those rebellious human beings than he does or hates them or loves them any more than he would a Christian he hates believers they are in the image of God he hates them he despises them if these guys that fast and chant to him he hates and despises them as much as he hates and despises Christians it's just as long as they'll serve his purpose he'll burn them up and then he'll discard them but as long as they serve his purpose and I was wondering well God how does a bunch of demonics that are fasting and chanting affect us how does it affect us well Satan finally he gets a mouthpiece 
He gets people who will indoctrinate other people. He gets people who will gather people together in government and they'll change laws. They'll do things that's necessary to your movie industry, your entertainment industry, the media, newspaper, magazines. See, the devil knows that if he can get human beings to serve him, then he can begin to indoctrinate the masses because this is exactly the way he works until he has imprisoned human beings in a prison that they can't hardly break out of. So the few people that he gets to serve him, yes, it gives him power in the indoctrination of the masses. Now, Satan, he, you know, he's smart enough to know how much God loves human beings. His love, and, and my heart is, is used to, I, I didn't question the love, I just questioned the employment of his love. When you watch a few people die in agony and screaming and pain, and I never questioned his love, just the employment of it. But since he's, indoctrinated me to the peace of God. There's no more questions in my heart, nowhere. In fact, I am continue to be amazed over the depth of his grace and his mercy and his love continually. I, I'm swamped. I'm just amazed. And when I look back over my own life, the way he has dealt with me is incredible. Nobody can love this human being the way my father does my father, my wife, and my family love this faulty human being better than anybody. <laughs> they just love me. So why should Satan, knowing how much God loves human beings, recreate the wheel? Why should he go study humanity for 6,000 years to come up with a better plan for their seduction? I mean, wouldn't it be more beneficial to him knowing how much God loves human beings to study the method that God uses to indoctrinate us, to transform us to the fullness of God and then counterfeit that operation only in reverse to destroy human beings? Why reinvent the wheel? The same way God goes after us, first is through the Word, then transformation, then yieldedness and purging until we draw close to God. I mean, why reinvent the wheel? Satan goes after human beings first with indoctrination and then transformation, then defeat and then destruction. Why reinvent the wheel? Just counterfeit what works because God, the devil knows, loves you so much so much that he would have spared nothing for your recovery, nothing for your redemption, nothing. So he just went in and counterfeited it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, again, a little bit. You say, why? Because sitting right here, right in the, in the room here, there's a bunch of you, you're not on the edge. You know, you're living a double standard. There's no use anybody else hating you for the lasciviousness of the flesh that you're living in. I mean, why should we bother to hate you? You hate yourself bad enough for being out of control. Anybody else to hate you. And you know what entrapment is? It's when you don't want to hurt the people closest to you. And this is why when God began that process to purge me from uh, exaggerating and lying, God, it hurt. I had to tell some things to my wife that, that cut me so deep. It hurt, hurt so bad, but it was necessary for my purging. Do you understand? And some of you, you know, you love the close ones around you. You love them, and you love your friends, and you love your wife. And God forbid that they would ever even believe that privately you're caught up in anything uh, that would be to this limit in the flesh. God forbid. So, so the close loved ones won't know. We enter into an entrapment kind of situation where you must go to church. You must perform your duties. You must raise your hands. You must go through all the motions. You know the amazing thing about it? 
is the way that God will bless through them things. Isn't it? <laughs> now, don't shake your head too hard. You'll give yourself away. <laughs> now, even though this may be a real quiet part of it, there's a lot of people caught up in this stuff. And I've been counseling it. My God, just in this last, had two or three counseling appointments, just preachers just last week had come in, just one the ball, you know. So this might be a somber part for people caught up in this kind of operations of the flesh. And I'm just not talking about the good old cares of this life and normal fear and those kind of things. I'm talking about lasciviousness of the flesh. I'm talking about promiscuousness filthiness of the flesh. In fact, James calls it superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> Whatever that means. is <laughs> really, King James really had some silver tongue sounding stuff there, didn't he? <laughs> superfluity of naughtiness. Now, of course, we don't want to know if you're caught up in this kind of thing because I know that you've probably been in prayer lines for it how many times you made your mind up to quit? Huh? After you fell to it, the gratification was over and the guilt set back in, your spirit chastised you. You hid the old porno magazine away somewhere. You maybe even burned it, just had to go down and get another one, man. <laughs> See, you talking pretty rough? Uh-huh. We want to salvage some souls from hell. And when we're going to get into this kind of prayer, maybe you're not listening too good right now. But when we get to the part, what do I do to get myself out of it, you might start listening a little bit. Don't get too interested. The people around you might get suspicious, you know. So try to appear a little nonchalant about it. Don't look down too long. Everybody around you will know. Are you having a good time? <laughs> well, Brother Roberson, yes, sir. Then why should Satan reinvent the wheel? If you understand the process that gets you into a mess like that, then you can understand the process that gets you out. What gets you in gets you out. If you can understand what happens to a person that they end up like that, then you can understand what steps that a guy needs to take to get him out. Now let's look at these verses again as we go into this now. He said, finally, my brethren. And I, I can tell you staff story after staff story how shocked they was to find out about the deacon and the pastor's associate and the pastor and just shocked after 10 years of milky white service, you know, to the church to find out they had been carrying on an ongoing situation with the flesh. I remember I went to one church to where the whole staff had entered into orgies. The whole staff. So the church found out about and got rid of the whole staff. And then the pastor was telling me about it and I just so happened went to another church in the same city where he had pastored before and found that he had to leave that church for an affair with a young woman. So the one that took the church had to leave because of an affair and he replaced a staff that they got rid of because of orgies. Most people just won't admit it. It's not because they don't want to be free. It just hurts the people around them too much. So they're kind of trapped, ungodly, damnable trap. Like Jimmy. Like Jimmy, like both Jimmys. Trapped. Well, what gets a guy into a mess like that? Well, if we find that out, we can find out what'll get him out. Amen. So is this edifying? Well, in a strange sort of way. <laughs> Tenth verse. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How do I get strong in his might? By putting on the whole armor. He said, put on the whole armor of God. That'll make you strong in his might, not your own. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
Now, one more time, wiles means methodical, militaristic, well-planned schemes of the devil. That's wile. Actual Greek word for wile, methodical. So he said, you need to put this armor on so you can stand against the very well-laid, militaristic, scheming, plotting, method, methodical plans of the devil. Now, of course, the devil in the Greek breaks down to mean diablo, which is penetration. 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 So he says, you need this armor. Why? Because the devil's standing there trying to rip pieces of armor off of you so you'll be destroyed. He says, so be strong in the power of his might. Put this armor on. That's his might. So that you can stand up against the methodical schemes and ploys of Diablo because he will keep working on you like a drop of water year after year, month after month. Decade after decade, generation after generation, and century after century, that drip of water will drop on the rock week after week after week until penetration is made through the rock. That describes Satan's operation against the church and against a human being. He says, put this armor on that you can stand against these kind of wiles because he'll stand there and try to rip your armor off. This is the insinuation of the original Greek that Satan's body stands face to face, eyes to eyes, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, rib cage to rib cage. His body stands toe to toe, blow to blow with the body of Christ. So he said you need this armor to stand against that kind of operation because he don't care if it takes 20 years. His intention is to wear you out, my friend. To wear you out. So he went on to say in the 12th verse, for we wrestle not, not against flesh and blood. Now, if we was to translate this the way that it's translated 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul, when he outlined the operation of the body, he says, Jesus ascended on high, gave gifts to men. And then 1 Corinthians 12, he says, he's placed some, and then he says, first apostles, prophets, teachers. Workers of miracles, gifts of healings, helps governments and the diversities of tongues. If Paul would have described Satan's body the same way he did 1 Corinthians 12, then he would have said it like this. He would have said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the body of Satan. For Satan ascended to his hosts of principalities and placed first in his body, first, principalities. And he says, secondarily, powers. Thirdly, he placed into his bodies the rulers of the darkness of this world. And fourthly, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, we've studied how this works, but you don't need to know much this morning except this. When Satan runs to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking whom he can devour... He's got principalities that are strategically placed around the world. I believe in the last days there'll be ten leagues of nations. And there'll be a principality over each league. He's a pretty powerful fellow, this principality. And Satan has charged them since he's placed them there to indoctrinate their part of the world to his way of thinking. And this is why the Islamic world all thinks the same. African world. Oriental mind, the Western mind with our modern way of thinking, we're, we are the results of being indoctrinated by a principality. That's why their region of the world all thinks and acts the same. They've been victimized. They've been incarcerated in prison without steel bars. It's all in their thinking. But it is the stronghold, the prison that Paul described when he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says, for our weapons are mighty through God, not carnal, to the pulling down of fortresses that consist of imaginations the way a man thinks, thinks, and uncaptivated thoughts and it's more powerful than the incarceration of steel. If you were raised in an Islamic world, you would hate America and your chances of being saved would almost be zero. And that prison is in your mind, my friend. How did they get there? A well, strategic, organized plan by the devil for indoctrination. But they're locked up now and the key is almost thrown away. 
Do you understand? So Satan has these principalities that he issues his orders to. So he'll circle the globe. And he can do it fast, my friend. Or he'll call his principalities together in council. And don't think he doesn't do it. He's describing something that is so organized that it's patterned after the Roman Empire. That's why he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So put the armor on. And he listed the armor as types of the war or battle array of a Roman foot soldier. He's trying to tell you that Satan's organized. He's planned your destruction. He's planned the breakup of preachers and wives. He's planned the immorality. If you're in it, you're a victim of his plan. But what got you in will get you out. (laughs) Glory. So he circles the globe with his counsel. He says, we got thousands that are chanting and fasting and praying for the destruction of this. And I'm using them. I'm using them in the media. I've got a... Homosexual over HBO. Pretty soon he'll have all of them through indoctrination of uncaptivated thoughts. High things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God in imaginations which are empowered by emotions when they're out of control. That is the conception of the lust to sin until it dominates them instead of them dominating it. So we get enough people fasting and praying and serving me. We can place them in indoctrinations, media, in strategic places as leaders of the nations, as religious leaders. So Satan will circle the globe and indoctrinate his principalities. And immediately they hand a mandate down to their powers. And the powers are a go-between them to the rulers of the darkness of this world that are strategically placed all around the world in multitudes, hundreds of thousands, and rulers of the darkness of this world, their job is to stand guard like a sentry over dark regions against invasions of light. And if the gospel comes to that region, their job, their job is to organize a resistance against the onslaught of light until it is overcome through the wiles, the methodical, the systematic system of baked brown until penetration is finally made. That's their job. So Satan says, we're going against the morality of the church. We're going against the family unit. We're going against the breakup of ministries, marriages. So they begin the indoctrination process and they hand it down to the media, to the newspapers, whatever motel you go to now. Gee, you can have your pick of any late night kind of thing you want. Right in the secrecy of your own room. David Wilkerson prophesied that. 25 years ago. The availability of pornography to the clergy and the confinements of their rooms. Mmm, mmm. You'd be shocked. Mmm, mmm. If you was out there with me and having to counsel these guys and minister with them. Mmm, mmm. You'd be shocked how well this indoctrination has worked. So by golly, If the process got us in, then the process will get us out. Hallelujah. (laughs) So then these powers said, I've been in council with the principalities, millions of us, and, and, uh, and rulers of darkness. You need to call the meetings of all these spiritual wickedness in high places, these low-level, second-rate, expendable devils that possess people that operate on a direct level with humanity. This is, this is the meal for this century. This is it. This is it. Because the media is going to come out and begin the visual indoctrination and the sound indoctrination, the, the preaching of my gospel. Then this is what you're to supply, the continual hounding with emotions and 
and lusts and harassment, the continual hounding with temptations and lusts, the continual hounding until the conception of the sin is made and the destruction of the preacher and the morality of the family unit. <laughs> yes, sir. It is good preaching. It's a saint in a circle of the globe and he'll hand down his mandate. And she comes down through direct influence of devils with human beings and then indoctrination through media and magazines and television. And, and it all begins the undoing. Well, if we're going to look at the victory, maybe we should look at the undoing just a little bit closer. It goes to 2 Corinthians 10. And then we'll be in James. Glory be to God forever. Amen? And I'll end up with James with just a couple of comments. Just enough to get you started. Amen? Now look at the third verse. We don't have to look very far here. For though we walk in the flesh. Boy, that's an understatement. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Same, same as a fortress. Uh, the best thing for imagery will be like an army fort. The only thing that kept the Indians from defeating the settlement is they would pull them into the army fort. It was a stronghold, they called them. A fortress, and it was a bulwark with large, I mean, walls that the Indians couldn't storm the walls without a lot of resistance. So the settlement would be pulled into the stronghold and they'd be safe. Only he's using this in a negative sense. If he was using it in a positive sense, then this would be the high tower. This would be. Our weapons are mighty through God to the constructing of a stronghold. It is the thoughts, the Holy Ghost, the power, the worship, the transformation to the Word. That would be a stronghold that you and I would live in as far as Satan's concerned. But using it in reverse, he's saying it this way. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of these kind of fortresses. These kind of strongholds that Satan erects in our life, what kind? The lasciviousness of the flesh, indoctrination to the flesh, out of control flesh, over the line flesh, promiscuousness, to pornography, these kind of filth, till he erects a stronghold like that where your life is out of control and it cannot excel in God because you can't break away from this fortress. You know, when I counseled with people, it just amazed me. Didn't matter how pretty their wives were. Just amazed me. <laughs> you having a good time? He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of these kind of strongholds. And then he tells you what the strongholds are in the fifth verse. You don't have to look any further. He said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. All right, because he was telling you what this stronghold consisted of, he, he told you it in reverse. He says it consists of imaginations. Now imagination is a system of thoughts that are controlled or backed up by emotionalism. Even if a guy, he knows the way it is wrong, the way he's thinking is wrong, but he cannot break away because emotions is manifesting itself in a form of lust and he just cannot tear away from it anymore. Or it's a system of thoughts Islamic world is caught up in. Or the Jehovah Witnesses, or the Mormons, 
Whatever the stronghold, it is something that they cannot seem to break out of. And its perimeters are set by imaginations or systems of thoughts. In other words, the prison is in their mind. The part of them that needs to receive a transformation. So he told you what the stronghold first was by saying it is imaginations which consists of high things that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. What was the intention of these high things? To unseat the throne of God's knowledge within your life and replace that throne with their own throne which is against the knowledge of God. What does these imaginations consist of? High things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God with the intention to unseat that transformation or that knowledge with themselves. And what are these high things that exalt themselves? Well, they're devils. Yes, they are. But they're devils with a doctrine. They're devils with a system of thoughts. They're devils with a strategic plan for your neutralization. And by golly, they don't care if it takes 20 years to get you out of the ministry. It's better to get you out. They run a race to enslave you so your ministry will never go anywhere. To enslave you with flesh or the control by money or any other area that this kind of indoctrination to strongholds can take a hold of a man in. So what do you say? Well, we, now we know that it consists of high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. But where did they come from? What if you reverse the process? He says uncaptivated thoughts. That's where it begins. Uncaptivated thoughts that are out of the captivity of Jesus Christ and the Word. That's where it begins. Uncaptivated thoughts that finally turn into the high things that keep warring on the knowledge of God until they pull it down. They replace that knowledge with themselves that then begins the systems of thoughts or then becomes the systems of thoughts and the imaginations that imprisons the man in the stockade. Well, if that system used to indoctrinate a man, I mean, why should Satan reinvent the wheel? And then don't you think that reversing the process would get you out? It got you born again. How shall they hear unless a preacher sent? When you came into church, you just sat down and the old boy jumped up and started preaching to you. And what he was saying was information. It was doctrination about God. You choose to believe it. You took your first step and was born again. You took your second and was transformed. You were renewed until pretty soon all the chains that the world had fell off of you and it all began with you hearing one single message and then your indoctrination to liberty being the kind that will know the truth by continuing in his word and it will make you free. See, the devil knows that if he can take you and re-indoctrinate you in reverse, you'll go back. Or you won't finish being set free. Now let me show you something. Go to James. First chapter. <laughs> what do we... Uh, why don't we begin at the, uh, about the 13th verse. This is, this is a good one. This is a good one. And let, let's look at this process a little more, because I was counseling an old boy, and, you know, I almost didn't know what to tell him. He looked so pathetic. He's in the ministry, you know. He's sitting there going, I'm going, my God, if I, if I felt like doing at that moment... <laughs> What I felt like doing, I got down on my knees in a Taco Bell <laughs> and cried out, there's no hope. <laughs> but, he, but he came on me with some illumination. And we sent the old boy away with a, with a plan of recovery. Amen. And he was happy about it. He said, okay. 
He was happy about it. And I said, now you think you have enough strength to do that? He said, I think so. Because see, when this kind of thing sets in, you have to understand the nature of an imagination that becomes a stronghold. When we say imagination, we're talking about a system of thoughts, all right, but it's controlled by an emotion. When your emotions are taken away from you, you don't want to pray, you don't want to worship God, you don't go and go to church. Only thing that wants to do anything is the flicker of a little light on the inside of you that Jesus or Paul labeled, he says, you haven't received the bondage corruption again to fear. This is the part you receive. The inside that cries, Abba, Father. And His Spirit bears witness that we're the children of God. So no matter how bad the bondage and corruption and fear gets that part's not of God the parts of God's a part that refuses to go out that flicker on the inside that keeps bearing witness you're my child fight against it you can win see but sometimes the emotions in a situation like that is so overpowering why do you think so many people get caught on it because it's easy to get out of come on when you don't want to go to church you know when your emotions aren't up to praying you don't want to do any of those things the only thing that's fighting for your salvation is that little flicker on the inside it just keeps going and just won't give up and it's just enough to make you go you know grab some some close friend and abandon yourself on them for your salvation can you be my strength can you be my emotions can you be my rock can you be my high tower? Do you want to pray? I don't, I don't feel like it. I'm messed up. My emotions are messed up. I, I have you told your wife? You have told your husband? I can't. No, I can't. How about the position you hold in church? I've just been going through the motions. I just, I'm messed up. I'm just, just looking for somebody I can just prostrate myself on. I'm just messed up. And that's about all the strength they have is to crawl into somebody's presence and tell them. I've heard them say many times, and if God don't help me, I'm finished. Anybody know anybody like that? Have you known of anybody like that? You see your hand. Have you? Then maybe we ought to listen to what we're about to say. Glory be to God. So I sent him away with a game plan. Well, what kind of guy was this? Oh, in ministry, Bible graduate, Bible school graduate, faith person, ultra, ultra faith person. Glory. Hallelujah. Say, <laughs> get on with it. All right. Thirteenth verse says, Let no man say when he's tempted that I'm tempted to God. He cannot be tempted with evil, and that includes disease or anything else, much less sin. And neither tempteth he any man. Now, I'm not supposed to say that, so I'm not going to say he's tempting me. God allowed this disease to come on, not according to this, he didn't. He said, Let no man say, I'm not supposed to let you say that about my father. I hear you running around saying that car wreck's working for your good. I'll probably slap the fat out of your face. Well, well, I did come out a better person in character for it. Maybe you did, but you could have went to the Word and done that. <laughs> Let no man say when he's tempted, tested or tried. I'm tempted, tested, tried of God. God cannot be tempted, tested or tried with evil. Neither he uses it by tempting, testing or trying any man. Well, whose fault is it? Just look down at your shoes and say, hello. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sins, when it's finished, brings forth death. He says, do not err. Now, if it wasn't enough him telling you, telling you, that God's not involved with that sickness and disease and putting you through car wrecks. He says, or the sin. Do not err, my beloved brother. Don't be err. Now, now, don't make a mistake on this. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
Now, if you'd have been in this day and age, they would have said, <laughs> every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light, who is not like a clock, is not like your Timex, or your Boulevard, or your presidential watch. He is not like a watch. He has no second hand, minute hand, or hour hand. There's no variableness in him. He doesn't move. He's constant. Does not change at all. And there's no shadow of turning like that is on a sundial. <laughs> Woo! Then that means he's not part of my problem. My God, he's part of my answer. And he wanted to make sure I had no error about this. No error whatsoever. He's for my redemption, my healing, my prosperity, my peace, my joy, and my holy walk before God. In 18, he says, Of his own will begot he us with word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. <laughs> I really like the way they talk. He said, wherefore, or based on what I have told you, I'm about to say this, wherefore, my beloved, come on, you're going to make it, Roberson. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, there we go again, another based on what I have already said, you had better do this. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Woo, uncaptivated thoughts that become the high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God that become the imaginations that become the stronghold that puts the man in prison. Our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Here's another facet of that weaponry. We know worship is and confession. Ooh, and we know praying in the Holy Ghost. We know and fasting. All of these are major keys. They're not carnal weapons to pulling down of strongholds. But here is another kind of communication, another kind of prayer, another kind of ministry to your own soul. He says, put aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive the engrafted word which is able to bring your soul out of that stockade. <laughs> My. And he says, And be you doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own souls or self, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he behold himself and goes his way and straight away he forgetteth what manner of man he was. See, he's saying this is the way a person is with the word that's a forgetful hearer. They'll look in it and they'll walk away. And because they don't subject themselves enough to it, they, hear, they forget what it says. And notice what he says here. That whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, and being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this. Number one, meet people's needs. To visit the fatherless and the widow and their affliction that is in their need, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Now that's religion undefiled. Unspotted, that's holiness. That is out of the stockade. And the other is the ministry of compassion. He says that's pure religion, undefiled. Now let's talk about this process that gets a man out. Let's just take the first step. When I was sitting there counseling this man, do you want to go worship God? He says, no. I don't feel like it. Can you make yourself do it? He says, I don't even care. I said, well, how about confessing your word? I don't care. You feel like going to church? Well, I've got to go to church for duty. 
I do. You know, you collect a paycheck, something. You know, I have to because I'll die if I don't get food. <laughs> so I do it. I do it. I go, I don't care. I don't feel like it. Are you, have you got any life in you at all? Yes. That's why I came here. Can you help me out? And I was sitting there praying, well, I can't get him to pray. And I can't get him to confess the word. I can't get him to do any of those things. I said, God, what could I get him to do? And all of a sudden, the Lord brought Augie's testimony before me. Augie David, when the strong man singled him out for his destruction. And during that time of emotional beating, when he was hanging on the edge of suicide and depression, and he gave the testimony about Lee, how this strong man came, it was probably a power, and began to break their ministry down and harass Lee. And he stood up and told you that at times Lee would just go over the edge and Augie would have to hold her down and pray for her. She'd just be... And they went to, they tried to get help and everything, but she came here and got set free, didn't you? Glory be to God forever. She's free now, folks. But Augie had, had to hold her. Sometimes that thing had come on her in an airplane. He'd just have to hold her and pray and Augie, he got so frustrated that he just, he just threw his Bible against the wall one day and says, why don't you do what you're saying? Why don't you do it and just threw it on the edge like a suicide? And uh, any moment he was afraid his emotions would run away with him and make him commit it. And so they were having the fight of their life and he was praying and he was trying different things. The destruction of reasonings was going on. The devil was trying to reprogram him and destroy the word in him, destroy everything. And Augie told me something that he did that sustained him. It's the only thing he could do. He didn't really feel like praying, really didn't feel like doing anything. I said, what was it, Augie? For six hours a day when he was on the brink of that destruction, six hours a day, Augie David read the Word of God from cover to cover every two weeks for a year. Every two weeks for a year. Every two weeks from cover to cover for a year. Augie read the Old and New Testament from cover to cover twice a year. Twenty-four times he read the whole Bible in one year. It took him on an average of six hours a day. Say, so why did it salvage him? Because instead of the indoctrination of the devil and his thoughts pouring through Augie to his seduction, he poured the thoughts of God through himself for six hours a day to sustain him when he was on the brink. Six hours a day. I says, but Lord, what does it do? What did it do? He said, just tell him. Counsel him out. So I asked him. And to tell you the truth, I thought he would tell me. I don't have the strength to do it. I said, would you read the Word of God for two hours a day? He said, do what? I said, would you take an hour in the Old Testament and an hour in the New Testament? Would you read an hour in the New and an hour in the Old a day? He said, well, yeah, I'd do that. He says, well, why? And I says, because it will start God's thoughts flowing through you, thousands of them, for two hours a day. And eventually, because your uncaptivated thoughts led you until emotions took over, eventually what you're looking for, that flicker of light, the spirit bearing witness with yours, a teeny emotion will begin in your soul that will start agreeing with the Word. That after a while, it'll be enough strength to start the prayer. After a while, it'll be enough strength to start the worship. And after a while, enough to start the confession. You think you got enough strength to take your thoughts and trade them in for two hours a day for uncaptivated flow of every thought God has thought. As long as you need to until your emotions, which you can't seem to turn now, begin to turn until it takes you out of the problem. Hallelujah. So do you think you can do that? You need hours and hours of His thoughts flowing through you. Every time you crawl out from under your slimy rock after gratifying the flesh, don't say, 
Well, I read that magazine again. Don't say you can't go read the Bible. Close the porno book. Throw it away if you can. And then start reading your Bible. <laughs> it's through the Spirit you overcome the deeds of the body. Well, I thought if I was doing one, I couldn't do the other. Biggest lie of the devil. How are you going to come out of the one if you don't do the other? Every time you crawl out from under your slimy rock, throw the book away and repent. Say, God, thank you for forgiving me. Say, well, my emotions know I'm lying. See, they just know I'm just going to do it. Yeah, because something is compelling you way inside. So if all the systems of thoughts you're caught in say, you're just doing it, just lying, just doing it, that's fire insurance, aren't you? Just fire insurance in case you get killed and for the next time you get the book out. Fire insurance, isn't it? Fire insurance. <laughs> so even if all your emotions and your thoughts lie to you, tell them to shut up. Throw the book away. Repent. And get your Bible out. You say, well, my emotions aren't there. Then take your repentance by faith. Just say, would you please forgive me? And I thank you, Father, you have. Then get your Bible out and start changing your thoughts in for His. And read as long as you can. Make yourself read at least 30 minutes in the old and new. Go ahead, because it'll start God's thoughts flowing through you until your emotions can begin to be replaced way inside with his until you want to starts to come back until your victory delivers you back out of the stockhold. Glory be to God forever. <laughs> Hallelujah. Is that what Augie David did? Yes. Yes. Miss Carol, can you tell any difference? How many hours have you been reading a day? Chapters? How many have you? You've been doing 25 to 40 chapters a day? Just Half word, so you're about 10 chapters, 12 a day, 15. Or some days prayer, some days reading. I get you. But tell me, has it made? Oh, tremendous. It builds your faith. You get to understand the, the Father, His nature so much more so that you understand why He can do all this for you and why he will and that he's going to do his word. Yes, yes, because all them thoughts are flowing through you now and you can't tell me that they don't help and begin the fortification process for a person to come back out. Amen. Amen. Boy, I enjoyed the fire out of that one. So there's another type of prayer. Communing to your own soul, praying inside, using the word hour after hour until your old not want to start turning to want to's. Glory be to You may run across some hero that gets you so excited that you say, man, I'm not going to do that. And it starts with that. It starts with it. Let's worship God. Hallelujah. Glory be to God.